0: Welcome to Soberholic, a podcast about Christian recovery, where each week we explore topics that can free you from bondage and strengthen your relationship with God, others, and yourself. Now, your show hosts, Roger and Jason.
1: Welcome back, Soberholics, to what I believe will be our best episode so far. Today, we are in studio with Tyler Courier. Tyler is one of the Alabama State Representatives for Celebrate Recovery. And as you all know, me and Jason are supporters of Celebrate Recovery for many reasons, but probably the biggest reason is that we know that CR can help anyone in any situation, regardless of what they're going through, because the fact of the matter is that Jesus is the foundation of it all. If you've ever wondered how CR can help you, or a loved one, then I encourage you to stay tuned as we chat with Tyler about this amazing ministry, but first, a word from our partners. Celebrate Recovery is a 12-step program dedicated to helping anyone anywhere find freedom from their hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Grace Life Celebrate Recovery is one of the local recovery groups in the Birmingham area, located at 6200 Lou George Loop in Bessemer, Alabama. They meet every Tuesday at 6 o'clock for food and 6.30 for service. If you're not local to the Birmingham area, then you can find a group near you at com. So, Tyler, you and I have been friends for about a decade now, and one thing that I know and is very apparent now, that you definitely have a face for radio.
0: That's right. You know, that's what I've been told many, many times, and, and I thank you Roger, for pointing
1: that out, my dear friend. <laughs> <laughs> for real, though, I mean, I guess you do have a face more for
0: show and for video because you're on the testimonies to go as well. Well, that's true. You know, several years ago, um, you know, one of the things that when I first went to a, a summit and, uh, and saw these testimonies, I like, boy, I sure want to go up there. And that's on my bucket list. I want to be, uh, you know, at the summit Up there telling my story, you know, that so many people want to hear, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's really kind of intimidating. But when they asked me to do that, it was such an honor. And I got to actually go out to um, Saddleback and do their Celebrate Recovery. And not just at the summit, it was at the summit, but it was their Friday night Celebrate Recovery meeting. And I was really honored. And then they filmed it, obviously. And now it's at. And 13 or 14 different countries and several other languages. And if they could interpret my southernese, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You know, because a lot of people here don't even
1: really know what a summit is. But, you know, a lot of us, through Celebrate Recovery, call it the biggest recovery party on the planet. And it's right. where a lot of the different CRs from all over, I guess, the nation. I, heck, I,
0: I guess it may even be the world. I don't know. That's true. I've, I've met several people from Brazil and from Russia. We actually – and I think you were there one year when they brought people over from Iraq. Right. Remember in Egypt? So uh, it's a launching point for a lot of people uh, that have never seen what the Celebrate Recovery does, so they come and get training from the, the, you know, the leaders, the people that are founders of the actual group. But, uh, heck, we've met people from the U.K. and Netherlands and German. It's just, it's just crazy the amount of people that come to this thing. And it's, They sell 3,500 to 4,000 tickets. And that's coming up in July, I yeah, believe. Correct. That's right. Up in they're doing an East Coast summit up in um, Nashville, July tenth, eleventh, uh, and twelfth. I believe it is.
1: Well, yeah. And so some of us, you know, I know all of our listeners don't know the the lingo, if you will, when we talk about this. But we talk about the the, the summit, and and I mentioned the videos that that Tyler was filmed in, but he was recorded giving his testimony. And one of the things that they do there at Saddleback, kind of the church that that puts Celebrate Recovery together, the mother church, if you will, They, they sell these videos out for smaller CR groups that didn't really have people who could come in and do live testimonies, and they'll film these so you can show them as part of the Celebrate Recovery curriculum, and Tyler is one of the speakers on there, and for, for years, and when I say that I'm friends with Tyler, that's like I'm just something I'm making this up. We've, we've literally been friends for 10 years, and right. for 10 years, I've tried to get him to give his testimony at my church, and he never would come, and so eventually, I said,
0: look, if you don't come, I'm playing the video, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I show up at your CR, and you said, if you don't give us your testimony, I'm going to show this while you're in the congregation so I
1: had the guilt of him into finally coming but he did come and ever since he's like been plugged in because he moved from Jacksonville that was kind of the big divide of why he had not came it was it was about an hour drive to get to me but um, I know he had traveled further than that to give testimony, so I, traveled, I just I know, I shamed him into that's it. That's
0: true. I did travel an hour and 15 minutes today for you. I know, I know, but because you felt like it was important to be here. Well, this is an opportunity, I think, to uh, not only pour into you guys and what you're doing, because I really believe in what you're doing, and I love this Soberholics uh, title to this podcast, but truly the, the um, recovery community needs more people like what you guys are doing, and I'm happy to be part of it.
1: Well, today, you know, it's just kind of me and you taking over the mics, and and Jason's going to be producing our show for us today. He's here in the studio with us. You probably won't get to hear much from him, but uh, I know between the three of us here, we have about 50 years of combined recovery, and I was thinking about that earlier. That's a lot of years wow, here. Is. That's true. And so I was like, wow, you know, and... and and I know a lot of times our listeners, when we talk about recovery, there's this stigma we always face Anytime you talk about celebrate recovery in general. But when you just say recovery, people automatically think drugs or alcohol. That's right. And today, I really want to kind of try to steer away from that as much as we can, although I know we all have got a part of that in us. We've all experienced even different 12-step programs and kind of have landed here in Celebrate Recovery. But I think that any of our listeners can see that Celebrate Recovery and the 12-step model can help them in any struggle that they're, they're dealing with. And whether it be like depression or guilt or shame, even resentments, all of those
0: things are what I believe just common everyday people struggle with. You know, I think the first step of the 12 steps, you know, that my life is unmanageable, you know, and that comes in a lot of different forms. It doesn't just mean that I'm addicted to alcohol or drugs, which, of course, alcohol is a drug. But, you know, my addictions are, are much deeper these days, how I fix my feelings, um, is really what I focus on today. After 23 years of clean, being clean and sober, I I found that alcohol and drugs, for me, were just helping me change the way I felt. I didn't like the way I was feeling, so I would take something, either a drink or a drug or a smoke or whatever. But truly what was covering up my true hurts and habits were uh, with the drugs and alcohol were where I found... um, insecurities, where I found resentments, stuff that I was uh, dwelling on instead of working through. So my coping skills basically just went away or I never developed them to act like what we in recovery call earthlings, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I've been an alien forever. And um, But I ne- I do understand it. It was so neat. Like for instance this past weekend I was down in Orlando and I was with my son and my granddaughter who's eight and and his wife and We went to Epcot. That's the first time I'd been there. And just having an experience like that, that we were all sober, you know, the the only thing we had in our body was caffeine, (laughs) trying to keep up with an eight-year-old. But I just (laughs) thought, you know, in my craziest days, these are things that I longed to do, to feel normal. And so what I'm really, I guess, what you were really asking about, how do you do recovery when you're not an alcoholic? alcoholic or a drug addict, and that's really what we're talking about is just changing our behaviors from what were destructive behaviors before, whether that's uh, overeating, uh, even biting my nails, smoking, uh, or obsessing, because I tend to do that. If I get on something, I can obsess and and really turn into unhealthy behaviors. Um, Codependency is something I discovered that I deal with, and uh, really... um, My sponsor told me a definition of codependency, which really is applicable for me, is how much sin will I tolerate, either mine or yours, in in order to control the relationship? Oh, wow. never really heard it put that way. Me either. And so I had him say it again. How much sin will I tolerate, either mine or someone else's, in order to control the relationship? And I just thought, oh, my goodness. You know, there is a line somewhere in there that I won't cross, but there's a lot of times that in relationships, I'll move that line just because I want what I want when I want it. Does that sound familiar in recovery? <laughs> Does it ever? You know, one, one of the things that I hear
1: or well, I heard in, in in Celebrate Recovery is we, it, it happens during a chip system uh, or a ceremony or or celebration, I guess is the word I'm looking for, where we kind of just celebrate those periods of sobriety. One of the ladies went and picked up a chip, and later I found out that she picked it up because she was a cancer survivor. And that always just kind of stood out to me because I I know that – we talked about it several times on the show. I've lost my hand uh, due to an accident, and so I, I literally have one hand. And I, and I know this lady, when she found out she had cancer, the, the thoughts and the emotions had to be about the same of the, the traumatic experience that I faced in my life. And so she had to learn how to work through those things. And, and CR was a way that she was able to – to funnel those emotions and figure out how to deal with those emotions because like you said earlier i didn't know how to deal with those things and so i just numbed them with drugs and alcohol for a long time and for her that wasn't an option she just wanted to know how to deal with it and i know even from you you were talking about orlando earlier and i believe this is where kind of where some of this stuff happened in yours your story the best i remember but you've kind of faced some pretty traumatic stuff in your
0: life you know, thanks for bringing that up. I just love reliving that. <laughs> <laughs> so in 2000, 2013, I got a, a simple stomach flu and never been sick before, and I never had the flu. And it was a two-day stomach flu, and it just was ridiculous. You know, I had shivers and shakes, and I, I, I don't usually throw up, but I did then. And my wife says, You are sick, <laughs> but... um after two days, I got well. And, and that same week, I was going on a cruise with my business, a company. And while we were on the cruise, I started feeling funny in my legs and my feet. And uh, after a couple of days of that, I just told my friends, I said, you know, I, I feel like I need to go to the chiropractor or something. I'm just, this isn't right. I had drop foot. And anybody that's experienced that is like when you walk, you're, I didn't have control to lift my toe. And it would drag. It would just flop. They call it drop foot. For Never a heard of that before. Yeah, well, I didn't either till mm-hmm. the doctor told me you had drop foot. And now you're now you're an expert yeah, on drop right, foot. That's right. I can write a paragraph on it. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so so the third day, I, I went out in the ocean and actually swam. I, I'm thinking, you know, this is as good as a chiropractor would do. I'll just get in and just do a whole body exercise. And I literally swam a mile out into the ocean and back, but it didn't do a thing. And the next night, or the next morning, we were docking, and that night I was with a friend, and I said, you know, I can't wait to get home because my back, my legs, it's just it's something in right. I just really need a tweak. Well, the next morning I woke up at 4.30 in the morning, When I guess when the boat hit the dock or something woke me up, but I barely could get out of bed. my My feet were numb. My legs weren't working correctly. My lips were actually tingling. I didn't know what to do, so I packed as quickly as I could, uh, and it, I had to sit down while I was doing it and, and scoot around trying to, because fortunately the cabins are small. <laughs> so I packed, took my, when they rang the bell at 730 to go to your muster station, I just went out the door and uh, got off the boat. People in the, that were coming out after me were, knew I was sick. They were praying over me, you know, hey, do you want us to get an ambulance? I was no, 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 I'm, I'll be all right. I'll be, I'm just trying to get on a plane and get home. Well, we trying to just
1: man through it. You yeah, know, that's right. You yeah, know, I, I don't want to show weakness here.
0: Well, I, you know, I, I, I just wanted to go home really. Right? Right. So we were in Cape Canaveral and going back to Orlando. That's about an hour. By the time we got the bus got there, they weren't going to let me on a plane. They got a wheelchair for me, and I was obviously visibly sick. So speed forward just a little bit. We bumped into somebody. Actually, the fire chief for Orlando just happened to be standing there when we were trying to decide what to do with me, and he said. ORMC Orlando Regional Medical Center's 20-minute cab ride you need to go it's the best trauma center so we went and they diagnosed me with something called Guillain-Barre which is a syndrome because they can't really pin it down but what happened is my antibodies that came to attack the flu when I had it the week before or earlier in the week kept growing and after they took care of the flu, they just kept growing, kept growing, they didn't have anything to do, so they turned around and attacked my central nervous system and ate the coverings off of my nerves. So that shut the nerves down from my feet going up. And it came close to shutting down everything, my heart, my lungs. It, it was going up. They were worried about me, and uh, they put me in an ICU, and they, they did something finally called plasmapheresis, so they took my plasma out to get rid of those antibodies and then p- replaced it with normal plasma and uh so after about 6 days or 7 days they said we got it you know so they, they prepared me to go to rehab which is a spinal cord unit in the same uh hospital in a different building but um so they could teach me how to ho- cuz i couldn't even hold a phone i couldn't talk hardly it was i was you know <laughs> Because my stuff was paralyzed my vocal cords and whatnot to a right. certain extent. Um, and then, uh, once they got me in a gurney and took me over there and uh, put me in this room things started getting a little bit easier for me because I, I could start feeling with my hands. They put my hands in sand with stuff in it like a uh, uh, marble or a paper clip or things like that, In and, and I would have to close my eyes and, and grab stuff, and they could tell how well I was doing each day by what I could recognize differently because I would put stuff in my hands and couldn't tell what it is. So and, that was like some sort of occupational therapy? Is yes, it was kind of occupational, occupational therapy? therapy. They put me in a gym, actually, and uh, with rubber bands and all kinds of different little dumbbells I was one of the dumbbells but
1: that shows you how helpless you really are when you're doing <laughs> occupational therapy cuz I remember doing that with with yeah. my hand and you're just doing the very basics of like what you would would have done
0: as a kid right that's true so and I'm I've been in the gym for all my most of my life of some sort and and they had me doing some of the simplest things I was I felt so helpless I couldn't even pull rubber bands apart and you know far from you know, each other, each hand. and But that was also strengthening me. And they did a lot of those things. They did core exercise stuff. But finally, after about, oh, and they gave me a guitar. And I like playing guitar and singing and whatnot. And somebody had donated a guitar to these guys, and somebody put new strings on it, and they gave it to me. And it was just so awesome. It helped bring back the feeling in my fingers and dexterity. And the first song that I learned to play, or not learned, but that I got to play was, Lord, I Lift Your Name on High. You know, it was just GCD. But... While I was there, it was just an amazing story. I felt God's presence so much, and I was able to put the things that I learned in recovery. Like, you know, my life is definitely unmanageable. And I know that there was a power greater than myself that was going to lead me back to my sanity because truly I was in a place where I wasn't sure what was sane and what wasn't. But, you know, each day I would do an inventory of sorts to try to see where I was from the day before and measure it.
1: Um, is that your, kind of, your way of seeing what kind of spirits you were in? Were you No doubt. You know, but, seeing if it was today was going to be a good day, or you needed some encouragement that day. Well,
0: you know, I don't remember ever having a bad day. Really? It, I felt so full of the Holy Spirit while I was there, I, and I knew that I was not going to be there long. I just was not believing that this was going to be something permanent. Uh My son happened to be in town and showed up, which was very encouraging. Of course, my wife came down. um, And uh, people from Celebrate Recovery from Tampa, there was a one-day conference there. They were floating in. So I had visitors that were encouraging me all the time. Uh, And I finally started walking. I finally started doing some different things that were um, uh, making me mobile again. The exercising, the occupational, and there were other things that they were doing with us. Uh, to try to make sure that all of us were improving. But there were—Roger, there were several people in there who were never going to walk again. There was a young man that got shot on a basketball court. That He was 18, had his whole life ahead of him, and somebody had to drive by. Hmm. And it was just awful for him. I just, so I felt it was my job to encourage, to show what the Holy Spirit was in me for them. And actually— We ended up bringing a guy to Christ that was there. He thought he was being paralyzed because of the life that he had lived before. Mm. And I shared the gospel with him, and he believed what I said to be true. And we we cried, we prayed, we sang. He was listening to praise music. And then I got discharged, and his son sent me a text four months later that he had passed away. But he was saved, and I still have that text in my phone, by the way. Wow, that's an amazing
1: story. Cause that was in 2013. And, and, and you know, this is years after you even entered the doors of recovery. You had been working these principles, these steps for years at that point, if I remember correctly. Yeah,
0: 1995 was when
1: I got clean and sober. And so, th- and this was happening what
0: year? 2013. So yeah, you had several so years. I, I really believe that everything that I learned through the steps of recovery uh helped me understand what I was going through a little bit easier, uh, one step at a time, obviously. But everything that I went through kept me from going back into a relapse mode because I've heard of several people that have gotten drug addicted after going through this particular experience with guillain Bray because they hit you with morphine. Now, the first 10 days, I was getting morphine every four hours. And I literally was watching the clock going, hey, you guys are 30 minutes, I mean 30 seconds late. (laughs) Where are you guys? My wife was actually starting to get a little bit worried about me. Mm -hmm. But when they took me to the spinal cord unit, they didn't have that over there. Mm -hmm. So God in his infinite wisdom let me have as much as what I wanted, which was a, uh, they gave me an oxycodone or something. They said, do you you want this? We don't have the morphine here. And I said, sure. Mm -hmm. I said, I've got a free pass. Right. it made me sick. Mm. It made me so sick that I w- and embarrassed me. So I never did it again. Wow! But like you know, I thank God every day for that because you know he he had a different purpose for me being there, and it wasn't for me to go back into that drug addicted life. So truly, the other people's encouragement, uh, me w- taking each step, them watching me improve, gave uh, others a chance to say, "Wow, I can do that too," or "That could be me," or "I." you know there was just encouragement everywhere i i remember rolling down in my wheelchair into the gym just going okay everybody what are we going to do today you know who have i not met or and i'd take the guitar at times and go sing and play down in there and so it was truly after the 34th day when i was ready to go home i thought boy i'm going to miss this place
1: Yeah, that's so encouraging to hear you at a place where you would think that you would be at the bottom of your rope, but had found found a way to work through all that, mainly just knowing that, that the Lord was with you through all of that, and... I know one of the things that we talk about a lot in CR is we, we call, call each other like a, a forever family. And you even mentioned that you were in Tampa, so you were a long ways from home. So you know, you're here in Birmingham. You're, you're out of state, and yet you're still having
0: visitors come there and love on you. Yeah, the visitors were coming from the one day over in Tampa all the way through to Orlando, which is really, depending on where you were in Tampa, at the most two hours away. But it was really... Uh, on the way home for anybody going to Georgia or back from Alabama, or so it was neat that they were stopping in to say hello and.
1: And those were friends you've just made through the years that's of Celebrate, right, of Celebrate recovery.
0: recovery in recovery, recovery. Jesus Christ put us together, but it happened to be in the venue of recovery. You know. And it was really an amazing thing because I got to share my testimony at several of those people's places that came through and, and go and give this particular story to them as well. And then, you know, the next year is when Cheryl Baker and John Baker asked me to consider doing my testimony at the summit, which just happened to be in Orlando the next year.
1: <laughs> and, well, You've got a cool. lot of history to Orlando. Yeah. Hey, you just left Orlando yesterday, yeah, right? right? I
0: was down there with my son. But... And they go to the church that I gave my testimony in. And while I was there for that testimony or the summit that they had, that conference, the actual hospital sent representatives over, too, to be there for that. It was really awesome. My pastor came down from Jacksonville, Alabama, and— it's well, me.
1: you're really, like, really one of the stories you just don't hear a lot about, because that's not my story when I was going through all my stuff with my uh, my hand. I wasn't really witnessing nobody. One, I didn't know the Lord at that point. Uh, two is all I wanted to play was the poor pitiful me. And I just hear such a, a difference in our two stories and that traumatic experience, because you had something to lean on. You leaned on the Lord and all that. And I leaned on myself. And that just never worked, and I always needed to find—well, maybe it's better to say it this way. I remember the first time I ever admitted I was powerless, and it took everything in me to to say I'm power, powerless and my life is unmanageable, the first step, like you mentioned earlier. And when I finally did that and really accepted that, it was really a freeing experience. You know, the Bible says, "'When I am weak, He is strong.'" And that's what I've come to find out. It's okay for me to say that I'm powerless. It's actually a freeing experience to know that I don't have control over
0: those things. Well, Roger, when I was paralyzed and couldn't even dial a phone, even one that you just punched the numbers, I never felt so alive, so spirit-filled in my life. It was an amazing uh, experience of lying there feeling strong, but that was it was a different type of strong or strength. Um, than I'd ever experienced before. God spoke to me, I think, you know. I I, I wasn't on morphine at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but I believe more than anything, he was telling me that he had me there for a reason, and he wanted to speak to me and spend time with me, and I felt it. And anybody that was with me felt it. I, I prayed with all my nurses and my caregivers. I prayed every morning with my therapists that were taking me down to the gym. We wouldn't leave the room without saying a, a prayer first or or at least in the gym. Uh, it, they all knew who I was and what I was about, and, and truly, I could not keep it inside.
1: I know a lot of our listeners probably are in a, in some kind of dilemma today, um, some kind of problem, an issue, and maybe they're like I was in blaming God of why they're there. But yet, I believe it's important for us all to remember that, that God didn't make us do those things. He He allows us to go through those things is a way of giving him glory. And I know that's been true with me losing my hand. I don't know that I can honestly say that I'm glad I lost my hand, but I have a better understanding of why I lost my hand. And there's been people I've been to minister to, just like I heard you minister in your wheelchair, where others were ministering to you. You were sharing the love of God with others. And so in the in the midst of all that, I think it's important to see that That this isn't happening to to people for a reason other than just that God will get glory through it all.
0: You know, one thing that you and I kind of discussed a little bit before we started here was about how my support group helped me. And the people coming through from Tampa was a big deal. But afterwards, when I went back home, the people that I touched that were, you know, I don't know how many miles away. It was 400 miles away. Were there with me, and they were their prayers. their I got cards every day. One of the guys that helped support Celebrate Recovery in Jacksonville, Alabama, literally sent me a card every day while I was down there for thirty-four days. Wow! And the people that, and other people from all over the nation were sending me cards and get well stuff. To, I had a friend come from um, Idaho that was coming to actually work, do a conference or something. He stopped in before he even checked in his hotel. And he asked at the front desk, you know, I wanted to, you know, what room Tyler Currier's in. They said, Oh, you're Tyler Currier's friend? Who is this guy? He must be a celebrity. We get so much mail for this guy, you know, and, and all of the stuff that came had crosses on it or it was from Christians. And I mean, it's without me even knowing, all this mail was coming with these, um, pictures of doves or fish or the cross or whatever. And they were, it made an impression on those people and they wanted to come up and meet me. So, but they couldn't leave their space. But the day that I left, the day I got to go to the front desk and introduce myself to them. It was pretty neat.
1: I think it's cool because I, I just know you and I know your heart and, And I didn't even know you at that period, but I know you enough since then to know that a lot of those people were sowing back into you because you've sown so much into other people. you've, You've ministered to other people. I know you've been one of those people in my life. And... I just I think that's important to, to, to see because in inside of CR, we talk a lot about service work, and it's not so much about just doing, it's just about giving back what you've received, and God has done so much for you in your life. It's because of Him you have all of these friends and mm-hmm. these relationships, right. and and you haven't just wasted those. You've used in your your platform wherever God has got you, whether it be in your business or in your ministry or just in your friendships, to, to share the Lord with others and I think that is exactly the reason you have so many people who love and care about you
0: you know and thank you for that it's it's very encouraging to hear that and especially when you're in the middle of the battle it's sometimes hard to even realize that's what's going on but for instance what I try to always end my testimony with is that this story is really just the same thing as what you're going through it's just different labels and that God is preparing us for whatever battle that we're in and that it doesn't have to be my drugs or my alcohol. It's really just my behavior that I'm trying to deal with, whether it's an impulsive or compulsive stuff um, that's going on in my life or anyone else's that's listening to this. The bottom line is that God is trying to reach out to me and use whatever hurt, habit, or hang-up that I'm going through or experiencing to make me look at Him. And I see that and. Whatever struggle I'm going through, for instance, you know what I'm going through now is just you know either work or a relationship or what. I see that as God has reached down to me, going, "I'm here. Let's talk together while we're in this. Let's do this." He's always inclusive, never exclusive. And so, some of the things, one of the things that I've experienced here lately is, you know, in the twenty third Psalm, it talks about, "Yea, though I walk through." The valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Well, I always looked at that as a physical death. I never thought of it as a relational death or a job death or even an animal or something. It's really about loss. And that God is walking with me through this valley, whatever, and wherever I am. And so I've learned now these days to embrace that and understand that through my pain or through my weakness and hurt, That he's actually teaching me, and in in the my old days, especially as an addict or uh, someone who was an immature Christian or not even a Christian, that I would try to use, and I use the word vaporize, try to vaporize the pain, or run from it, or turn from it, or take a pill. I just was not going to experience it. When actually, pain is a part, and death is a part of life. Birth and death are very similar. Because they're connected, and God is part of all of that. And so I'm learning as an, an older gentleman. I'm not going to tell you my age, <laughs> but I do have a gray hair. <laughs> that God is reaching down in that, and that's where I'm most teachable. So I'm, I, And I liken it to having an open wound that's spread open just like my chest, and it's healing from the inside out. And it's going to take longer, and it's going to be more painful. Instead of having that thing closed and stitched up, where I'm healing from the outside in, and that God is working this miracle through me by walking in this pain with Him. So a perfect example is when I was in the hospital and I couldn't move, and I couldn't, I could not help myself. God was helping me all the way, and He was using many other instruments to do it. People, mm-hmm. people who were not even Christians were seeing God through me, were seeing Christ through me. And he, I I feel like he told me, Tyler, all of these people that are helping you work for me, whether mm-hmm. they're Jewish, whether they're Muslim, whether they're Catholic, Protestant. What, Tyler, if they're atheists, they're still working for me. Believe it. That was so comforting. Wow. Well, I, I know that
1: by hearing your testimony um, of just a, a small portion of it, I mean, we literally hit on a small portion of what I know that you've been through. I know that some people will automatically relate to you, and maybe they're going through something in their life, or a loved one's going through something, and maybe it's something completely different than what we've talked about, but I know that you and I can't really be in charge of anybody's recovery. We've both learned that throughout the years, but you've done enough of recovery and been around enough recovery groups to kind of see some things, I'm sure, as I have, what do you believe might be one of the biggest obstacles someone would face whenever they tried to overcome a struggle or a hurt, a habit, or hang up? I,
0: you know, it's funny I, because you mentioned it earlier, I that I want to walk through this in my way mm-hmm. instead of leaning on not on my own understanding, right? I, I think the biggest thing is that we, when I get into it, and that's, I'm talking in me included, is that if I'm in a foxhole and— You know, what's the first thing that I do, and that's I try to do what I know is best for me. I think, and and either hide or protect myself, or instead of go to all things with Him in prayer. Okay, God, what's the next step? Where do I really fit in this? Where do you fit in this? Where do you want me to go? If there's a fork in the road, I'll take it. (laughs) But what side do you want me to take? And I've also found that if I take the wrong fork that he'll just leave the other side and come to me. Hmm. But I do believe, more than anything else, the struggle sometimes overtakes the struggler. And that's where a lot of the times we you know, bump our head or we scrape or fall down or relapse, die, whatever it is. Um, but turning it all over to him is probably the most difficult part of it. Yet, as we grow older, it seems like we're... In recovery, those serious in recovery, and also Christian recovery, understand that is the process, and that's where the twelve steps lead us. So another part of that, people that don't do the struggle, they forget what they've learned in the twelve steps. We forget that we can, you know, go to him. My conscious contact—that means when I'm awake <laughs> with God—and while I'm doing this prayer time, as I walk in my consciousness when I'm awake. I know that God is with me the whole time. And that's a, that's a big part of what I t- sometimes forget when I'm in the middle of the struggle, is that I'm in the foxhole, and I'm getting bombarded, and I forget to look up, and all I do is just look at my circumstance. But the 12 steps are the easiest way for anybody that's in a struggle to find their way out. I know my life is unmanageable, and I know there's a God out there that wants to help me get back to the sanity that I'm looking for. Um, you know, my shortcomings or where I'm falling short or my character defects that are stopping me from getting the full measure of what God's after in me is my attention normally. But admitting, well, you know, I think one of the things that, uh, that I really love about the 12 steps is the 10th step. My favorite step is taking personal inventory and promptly admitting when I'm wrong. That's been a big deal for me. You know, it's just like, you know, we talked about earlier, you know, the male thing is I'm not I'm not going to go through this, you know. But to me, the bottom line is, is I have to admit that I'm wrong when I'm wrong. And, and my sponsor says, when's the right time to admit you're wrong? Well, when I realize that I'm wrong. It's time to eat that humble pie, yeah. you know. But that also is a crazy freedom that people that I've been around a long time say, how do you... How do you say you're sorry so quickly, and I said, "Well, it's not that I'm sorry, which I am, but i I really when I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and that pretty much takes a lot of the burden off of me of you know trying to either cover it up, lie about it, or what you know I'm wrong, and' it's, there's a freedom in that,
1: and it's okay to be wrong yeah, you know right. I, there was time in my life where I would be wrong, know I'm wrong, but I said to make myself right somehow in the midst of all that because I didn't tried to prove that I was right. I know that sounds insane when I said it, but I mean that's just what happened in my head. you know I would literally know that I'm wrong with something, but I wouldn't admit it, and so I would
0: still convince my, try to convince myself and you that I was right that's That's a big part of what my recovery has been is that i don't always have to be right, and that being wrong is okay, and promptly admitting it has been a, a salve to my soul for a long long time, but that you know it goes hand in hand with taking personal inventory you know where where today did I go wrong, or where did I go right, or what's next you know on my agenda for improvement
1: and actually taking the time to ask yourself those questions because so many of us were so busy and we just don't we rely on our own willpower to make it through the next day or through that moment and we never ask ourselves what we did right or what we did wrong we never give ourselves an opportunity to fix the damage and so the damage builds up in our lives and it just causes more chaos and that's never a good thing, whether you're in recovery or not in recovery. Right. In fact, that's, that, right. what, that's what leads most of us to recovery is because we never wanted to deal with those things in our past.
0: Well, the relationship, the relationship aspect of recovery is is truly the hardest. Uh, I can work on myself, and I can tell myself I'm doing great, but it, I need you. I need other people in recovery to, to help me stay in check. If I don't have other people in my life to give me – feedback or bounce back or honest feedback
1: wise counsel yeah
0: i'll i'll uh i'll not only will i relapse but i'll take people with me and think that i'm doing the right thing
1: Mm. so true well tyler i want to thank you for taking your time to come out and share with us um is there well how could how could people reach you
0: well uh tyler cur at bellsouth.net is actually my email address if anybody ever wants to reach out and ask a question, please do. Uh, Celebrate Recovery is a big part of my life, but really recovery is a big part of my life, with, and it's Christian recovery. But I think any port in a storm, I don't discount any kind of recovery as long as people are trying to get help. I do a lot of work with the APC, which is the Addiction Prevention Coalition. I work with a, a gentleman named Art Wimberly who has a, a ministry called Thrive, and uh, they do really good work trying to not only prevent but also counsel during the midst of whatever struggle you're in. Uh, any kind of um, recovery process is a good one. Just plug in, stay plugged in, and, and help others. And that's truly the way. It's the 12th step, having had that spiritual experience as a result of these steps. I try to spread those the message still to those that are still suffering.
1: Amen. Give us that e- um, email one more time. It's tylercur
0: at bellsouth.net.
1: All right, guys, that's going to wrap up a, another episode. Uh, tune in next week as we begin talking about the 12 steps. Is more than just a recovery model. We actually believe that the, the 12 steps is a Christian discipleship model that can prove anybody's walk with Christ. We'll see you next week.
0: Thanks for listening to Soberholic with Roger and Jason. If you like the show and want to know more, check out Soberholicpodcast.com. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Soberholics.